This podcast was prepared by Ashley and Martell in their personal capacity. The opinions expressed in this show are the host's own and do not reflect the views of any of their personal affiliations. Hey, y'all. We're back a little quicker than normal because we've got a special episode for you all. Special guest. Yes. So it's your host, Ashley. And And Martell. Your boy Martel, aka Pierre Defecto. We here for episode twenty-four of Black Political Millennials. Mm-hmm. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, welcome. And so, as we discussed on our last episode, we gave you all our endorsements. We are extremely excited to welcome one of the mayoral candidates for the city of Pittsburgh. We have Mr. Ed Ganey on the show. So, welcome, Ed. Hey, hello. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Martel. <laughs> It's a pleasure to Hi. be here. I uh, appreciate you inviting me. Yes, um, sir. Thank you. Yes, yes sir. You are thank you for being here. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Our> special effects. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you for joining us, though. We really yeah. appreciate you taking time, you know, out of, out of your busy schedule to, to sit down and chop it up with the Black Political Millennials. Yeah. Um, but we just going to get right into it. Um, so, you know, let's, uh, you know, tell the folks a little bit about yourself, you know, where you grew up at and yeah. You know, for, for people that may not know all about you, brother. Yeah, hey, well, one, I, I'm grateful to be here. Um, and I want to thank both of y'all for having me. Um, this was a broadcast I was kind of looking forward to. So, you know, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Ed Ganey. I'm a candidate for mayor in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, my family's from the Hill District. Um, I grew up, I was born in South Oakland on a street called Lawn Street uh, to teenage parents. Um, my dad was 17. My mom was 15. So a lot of my time as a youngster, I, I spent with my grandma. So when my grandma, she moved to a building called the High Rise in East Liberty. So when my, my grandma moved over there, I moved with her. Um, and then when my mom moved to the Low Rises, which was also part of Liberty Park, I moved in with her. As a kid, I didn't know nothing about politics. I didn't inspire to be a politician, to be quite frank. I never had a politician knock on my door. I never had a politician come to my school. We didn't get calls talking about who, who we support or who, who we were leaning towards. And we didn't have community meetings talking about how tomorrow was going to be better. So growing up, I couldn't want to be something I wasn't exposed to. I just wasn't exposed to um, the life of a politician. When I got to Morgan State University, um, you know, well, to give you the background, I went to Norfolk first. I graduated from Peabody. I went to, um, I started at Dilworth and I went to Holy Rosary. Then I did two years at Central. Didn't work out there. Um, then I went to Peabody, graduated from Peabody. First time I went to school was Norfolk State University, but I wasn't really mature enough to be at Norfolk State University. Um, I was 18, probably with a 14-year-old mentality. And so just from a mental standpoint, I wasn't prepared to be at Norfolk. Um, you know, and so not being prepared, being the first in my family to go to college, there was a lot of pitfalls that I wasn't exposed to as a youth that I was ready to take on like one taking eight o'clock classes um, as a freshman is difficult, especially if you, you know, we didn't travel a lot. Me and my mom just wasn't that type of party. So, you know, seeing Virginia Beach and um, that beach life um, at 18 with a 14 year old mentality wasn't too productive for me, um, but it was a failure that I turned into a success. So I ended up coming home at the end of it with a 1.8 average. Um, and I remember when I came home, the first thing my mother told me was uh, my firstborn, you know, and all that I poured into you, um, the struggle, you know, you, you come back and you greet me with a failure. 
And I think that's the first time the light began to go on because that was a powerful, you know, a powerful statement from my mother um, because that's all I had. You know, um, so I went to CCAC for two years. Then I ended up transferring to Morgan State University. And that's when the light really went off. The first day of class at Morgan State University, best HBCU in the nation, <laughs> great Morgan State. Um, you know, uh, my first day there, I went to class and the, the professor asked me what I was doing. There. And I told her, I said, you teaching, right? And she said, no, nah, your lesson is not in this class. Your lesson is out there with these classmates. You got to protect the school and save it and make it a, and keep it a, a, a HBCU, Historical Black College and University. Well, I graduated in 88. I got the North, I mean, Morgan State in 1990. I didn't know nothing about protesting and sitting. That's not what we did back then. You know, Martell, you know that. We didn't, that's not something that we did like, like you see going on right now. You know, so I wasn't introduced to that level of lifestyle. And so I marched with my classmates down to City Hall in Baltimore. Um, and that's where I met my first elected official by the name of Mayor Kurt Smoke. And Kurt Smoke was an African-American mayor of the city of Baltimore. And he helped us. He fought like he really fought with us so that the University of Maryland wouldn't take over Morgan State University. Like he fought with us and we saved Morgan State University and captured the HBCU. And that was the first time that I really had been in any type of advocacy that really meant something to me. Like to save this school, to keep it at HBCU was and, and to go through that, to have to go to and, you know, to, to the to, to the um, state house in Maryland in Annapolis and fight for it. But during the time I was down there at that protest, there was another meeting going on that I ain't had no business in, but I ain't never been in City Hall, so I was just moving around. So I can't even tell you how I got in this meeting, but I got in this meeting and Baltimore was one of the first cities that was getting HUD 108 or 103 money to do mixed income housing. And they were tearing down a project down there and I had screamed out, that's gentrification. And the, the mayor told me, get out the meeting. I was like, oh, he rude. And then he said, but go sit in my office. And so, um. When I went to go sit in his office, he came in, he said, young man, this is my meeting. I'm the mayor of the city of Baltimore. Um, when you in my meeting, you don't interrupt me. You raise your hand if you want to be acknowledged or you be quiet and sit there. Mm-hmm. I was like, but he didn't understand. I really didn't understand what the mayor was at that time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he went on to tell me, you know, that I'm not going to displace anybody, but I will replace those that don't want, to, want a better quality of life. He said, our corners shouldn't look the way they do. He said, our kids see more negativity on their way to school and then we think that they should be prepared to learn in a positive environment when they get to school after they walk through weeds up to their hips with 40 bottles, blunt bottles. I mean, blunt rappers and wine bottles all in the grass, gangbangers on the corner. You know what I mean? They slinging dope all day long. You see an artist before you get to school, your exposure to negativity is greater than any positivity that you can get in the classroom before you even enter the school. And so at that moment, when I came home, I was like, wow, I want to do community development. The light was going off. It kept getting brighter. I kept seeing. And so at the time, East Liberty Development Inc. was closed due to racial tensions in East Liberty. And so the gentleman that was getting ready to open it up was named Wheeler Winstead. And so I went to Wheeler and I said, Wheeler, listen, man, I'll work for free if you teach me, you know, community development. But when y'all get some money, hire me. You know what I'm saying? Hire me. But I'm, I'm willing to work for free if you can teach me. And so Wheeler went on to start teaching me some things. And I went on to work for a state representative. Then I went to work for two mayors. The first mayor I worked for was a gentleman named Tom Murphy. And, and why that was important is because coming from where I'm coming, the high-rise building, uh, for anybody to know about the high-rise building, to, to being in the mayor's office, um, from the lifestyle I came from, is a major accomplishment. So I looked at the mayor's office as a place of higher learning, right? I didn't just look at the mayor's office. To me, 
others gonna understand how public policy impacts community development, which in impacts neighborhoods. So, you know, I always told people, I would like to spook this out by the door. If they threw paper away, I would go get it and read it. I was thirsty for knowledge. I kept a, I kept a, a file on every elected official in this region, and I kept a file on every development that was happening in this region, just to make me more aware of what was going on in the city and, and the impact that these developments would have on the neighborhood and the city. From there, I ran for state representative and I won after my third time. So after my third time, I won and that's where I've been ever since. I pushed major legislation like cannabis. Everybody knows that medical cannabis, you know, was one of my major initiatives that I fought hard to get through, even amending, amending it to make sure that, you know, African-Americans, veterans, um, w, WBEs were able to participate at a level that is still not satisfactory, but it'd been, it would have been worse if we didn't double the scores. So to be able to see us push through that was positive, to help out with clean slate, to make sure that misdemeanors, um, you know, certain misdemeanors were sealed so that people wouldn't know um, when you were going for jobs or whether you were going for um, housing, that that could be there. First legislation I ever fought for was transportation as a, in my first year. And so now I'm running for mayor because I believe we got a great opportunity to turn. You know, I always tell people in Pittsburgh, we talk about our disparities like they academic classes, meaning we talk about them, but we don't do nothing to change it. Same conversation we've been having, we continue to have with no change at all. Disparities are a great thing because disparities gives us the opportunity. Without disparities, there is no opportunity. With disparities, we have the ability to have opportunity to create, create greater access and, and, and greater opportunity. And so what I mean by that is even if you take the police community relations, you know, we, we don't even have to go back that far if we just talking about the police community relations from the private, the private Facebook group that the police had on social media talking about how deplorable black lives in the LGBTQIA community was. See, right there is when you get an opportunity out of that disparity to show that you want to improve police community relations. Not only should those officers that said that have been investigated, disciplinary, disciplinary actions such as being fired should have been incorporated because those are the type of officers that you don't want on your street because it's not if something's going to happen when you have that mindset to see me just because of the color of my skin is a problem and deplorable. It's not whether, it's not if something's going to happen, it's when and where. And so you've heard me talk before, we need to demilitarize our police force, move back into community-oriented policing where the police know Big Mama. They know, you know, the Mr. and Mrs. Jones at the end of the street, not just jumping out on somebody when something was going wrong, but you're actually trying to build, you're, you're actually trying to build trust in police community relations. Right now, we don't have that. We got over-policing in our neighborhood. The report came out a couple of weeks ago, 65% of the rest in the city of Pittsburgh is black, but we only make up 27% of the population, but 65% is black, that's over-policing. Yeah. So we can't empower implicit bias if at the end of the day, we're over-policing to a point where 65% of your arrests look like me. Right. That's trauma on the community. Mm -hmm. That's not doing what's necessary to build a healthy relationship, that's trauma. And then we know that we have to have social workers. This 1930 model that they got right now is old. And every model has to be, it has to evolve. It has to be updated. We should have social workers going out on calls. There's no question about it. We know that we have an increase in mental health. Every, every statistic says it. And so we need someone that can help de-escalate some of that situation. And that doesn't come from law enforcement. That comes from social workers that have the wisdom to be able to do it because this is their ministry that they do every day. They should definitely be on calls. Talk about affordable housing. It blows my mind when I hear this administration talking about 
We've expanded the tax base. Look how much we've grown the city. We've expanded the tax base. Well, 7,000 African-Americans were moved out of their community, gentrified from their neighborhood for you to expand the tax base. And you call that growth. That growth is not progress. How can you close the racial divide or the wealth divide when you just exited 7,000 people out of your city due to gentrification and you label that as growth, growth on the back of those you gentrified? We have to be 100% focused on affordable housing. We have to pass inclusionary zoning so that we can make sure that the city is zoned so that we're not being pushed out. Zoning is what helps keep us here, and that's one way of keeping us here. We have to focus on some of the financial tools that's coming out of D.C. right now that can help expand how we fund for affordable housing. Yeah. UPMC was another one. This administration came in time where we're going to hold them accountable. They took $22,000 off of UPMC executives. You can't hold that accountable. Mm. But they should pay their fair share. Ooh. There's no reason why they shouldn't pay their fair share right now. You know what I mean? We talk about public works. Why they didn't do the snow right? When I talked to public works, they said, hey, we didn't have the right equipment. I said, that's impossible. Last time I checked, I mean, I don't know that much, but I know this. Last time I checked, it snowed every year in the city of Pittsburgh. Yeah. For you not to be prepared to make sure that your workforce has the equipment that they need in order to perform their job, that is mismanagement. Mm -hmm. There is no way at an executive level that should ever take place that they don't have the right equipment and it snows every year, even in the spring in Pittsburgh. That's a that's a really good point that you brought up too, because I think when we talk about politics and the role of a mayor and you throw out that, you know, th this role is an executive role. Can you talk about what that means as a current as a current legislator going mm -hmm. into a role that's executive? It's a different way of tackling um, the issues within our community. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because all of our listeners might not even really understand that. Yeah, as an executive, you gotta execute. Um, what we see right now is that, that this administration can come up with a lot of plans, but they put them on the shelf. And so they talk about, look at these plans and look what we discovered, look what we found out, like the gender equity report, which I mean, I'm glad it was put out, but at the end of the day, it came with no recommendations. There's several with the P4, whatever that was, that came when, you know, it's still on the shelf. Um, that's not an executive. An executive has the ability to live up to the promise that they made to the people. That means they have to be able to execute. They said they would make the city more affordable, but they haven't. That's not what they execute. Police community relations, that's not what they execute. Uh, UPMC, that's not what they execute. The arguments with the Pittsburgh Public School Board, there's no execution here. As an executive, you have to execute. And I should be able to come back to you and say, here's my goals. Here's how you can measure the progress that we made. Here's where we're at right now. Here's how we're moving forward. But I am being transparent with you to let you know that based on what I told you I would do, I can report to you exactly what's going on, not just in my word, but also show you in my deed, in the works that I do, exactly where we're at. That's how an executive operates. And the second thing is, and, and don't let this get lost. This is the most important thing. You know, issues get talked about. And we talk about a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Priorities get funded. Issues get talked about. Priorities get funded. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to see what's reflect reflective in what I'm speaking based on what's my priorities, look at my budget. See, I can't be with I can't be all about police community relations and they still getting 2.9% of the raise that they got right now. There are certain things that are in your budget that if you about what you say you about, then it'll be reflective in the priorities of your budget so people know how you execute it. Mm -hmm. Most of the things that we talked about now ain't even in the budget. So it's it's just an issue. And I learned that from Philadelphia. They'll come to the state capitol and say, look, 
Till you give me my money, we can't talk. No one should give me my money. We can talk all day. They ain't got time to talk about the issues. They got priorities to take care of. Whatever is your priority will always get funded. Whatever is an issue will always get talked about. That's the difference. An executive executes his priorities so that when he has to give a report back to the public about what's going on in his administration, it's not fluff, it's concrete because it can be measured. Without that, we just having the talk. Yes, sir. So uh, when you mention priorities, what what are, are your priorities? What will be your, your priorities in, in your administration? First priority is police community relations. It's number one. To me, it, 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 has, it, it should happen now. But under my administration, my first 100 days in office, uh, I'm going to be focused on police community relations. It has to. We have to we have to find a way to begin to build trust and get rid of that culture where we got police officers that feel that comfortable to have a private Facebook chat, chat group, where they can talk about people uh, that look like me in the LGBTQIA community, like we're deplorable. Like those are things that have to be dealt with immediately. Those are things you can't wait to deal with that. Three months ago before that, you had a police officer that had on social media page, his Facebook page, two young African-American girls pointing guns at each other. My first 100 days, we're going to start trying to make changes. And I understand that some of it comes with my, uh, with my conversations with the FOP. You know, um, you know I, I welcome that conversation because I'm not going to have behind arbitration. It may be a while before we can change arbitration at the state level. Um, laws don't change overnight. Not at the state. It just don't happen. So for me to say that I'm going to hide behind arbitration and not fire a cop is not is wrong. If you're a racist cop, I will fire you. And if the FOP wants to have a conversation, then we go into the second stage of negotiation. It's called public relations. Public relations is a what? Billion dollar industry as well, right? So we understand the power of public relations. That's why I'm on this podcast. This is public relations. And so at the end of the day, I'll let them define themselves for who they want to be in the public eyes. If you want to go back, if you want to go to bat for a racist officer that has made derogatory comments about how he sees people that he's sworn to serve and protect, and that's what you want to go to bat for, then you'll define yourself publicly of just what type of organization you are. But remember that if you define yourself the wrong way, it makes it more difficult for you to say to do what you say you want to do. And that's build trust amongst community and police. So I welcome that opportunity to be able to talk about how we do that. Or do you want to defend those that see me as deplorable? You make that decision. Yes. So um, we were we were talking about some of the messaging, and I, I hate to say messaging because this is this is the work that you want to do um, as as the mayor of the city of Pittsburgh, but you discussed some things about community benefit agreements and labor peace agreements. Can you talk a little bit about that? When people see that, what should they expect? What should that be, you know, telling them um, your work is going to be about? Yeah, well, you know, that's my background. Community benefit agreements is all about community development. Um, and, you know, Martel, I, I, I fought, you see me fight hard and onward to ensure that the community is engaged at every level um, when it comes to community benefits agreements. Um, and that's not always an easy fight. You know, uh, it, it's a fight that comes with 
how well you can make sure that a community benefits for certain projects that happens in our neighborhood um, and what is feasible to do. And so I've learned a lot about community development agreements. I've been at the table a lot. And so I want to see that in my administration because that's how you build a bridge towards communities. And when you do that, what you do is you give a community an identity. And identity means that they don't feel like they've been left behind or that they've been run over with the understanding that you're never going to have 100% of the community agreeing. It just doesn't happen that way. That's idealism, not realism. Realism is that can you create a community benefits agreement where you know that both parties' interest is going to be served, not at 100%, because that's never going to happen. It never has, never will. But at a level that's acceptable where we're not gentrifying, or a level that's acceptable where we're making sure the workforce looks like us, you know, where we're doing things from a contract standpoint that gives us the opportunity to grow, that's community that's community benefits agreements. Um, I've worked on several of them. And so that, that, that would be the difference right there, Ashley. Just, you know, uh, my ability to ensure that the community is, and sometimes that means that, you know, uh, even as mayor, you sometimes you gotta, you know, you got community plans going on. You also gotta knock on that door. See, I can't, I can't tell you I care unless I show up. You know, when people say, hey, you show up to a lot of stuff, yeah, but I didn't learn how to politic in Pittsburgh. In Baltimore and in other cities, that's what mayors and state reps, and that's what they do. They show up to other people's stuff to help them, to promote them, you know? And both of y'all know how much money I plant in terms of the seeds from my own campaign to help things go, to help things move in, this, in my district. Because I believe that it's more than me just saying, yeah, I support you, but I say, I gotta show up. Because as a leader, leaders show up, bosses send other people. You got to determine what you want to be, a boss or a leader. I'm not interested in being a boss. I want to be a leader. And so a leader's mentality is I'll go first. I'm going to show you faster than I can tell you. I'm going to show up. And see, what you do is you begin to grow a mindset that my, my elected official is going to show up for me. My elected official is going to make sure that you know, he can give me, he can't give me a lot, but he's going to give me something to make that happen. That's the mindset of a leader. A boss will feel like he should only or she should only show up if it's beneficial to them. Yeah, I understand that. You know what I mean? You, you want to, at that level, you, you're, building, <laughs> you're building your career on who can do for you. That's not, my, that's not what I do. I'm not saying that's wrong. By no means am I saying that's wrong. I think that, you know, people have to, pe- people have to, to be represented the way they choose to want to be represented, and I respect that. But for me, I believe in serving the people. And so no one can say that I don't serve the people. You know, to say that would, it would mean that you don't follow politics. Because I'm in every community. Because I believe in serving people. That's what other elected bodies do outside here. Wasn't nobody doing that until I started doing it, really. Wasn't nobody showing up like I show up. Wasn't nobody seeding small projects like I was seeing small projects. Wasn't nobody, wasn't nobody glorifying others on their social media page for bringing community together. I don't have book bag drives just to have book bag drives. I don't have turkey giveaways just to have turkey giveaways. Martel, you know this. 
You know how much information we put in those bags after school programs, substance abuse programs, rent rebate programs, because the more programs that I can give the people, the more they go home with just food or a book bag. They go home with knowledge and knowledge changes things. And I want my community to be first, not last when it comes to knowledge. I want this city to be first, not last for everybody. Uplift all ships and let them sail forward. I mean, that's, it's really, I think that's really important. And especially with what we're seeing in the city of Pittsburgh and um, what I, what I also, I'm going to throw this out there too. And what I also love about your responses is you literally went in order of all of the questions that we wanted to ask you today. And yeah, you definitely telling, did. <laughs> you know, it was, it was truly, truly perfect. But um, what I wanted to say is you talked about when you first, got out of college and when you came back to Pittsburgh and you were working in Tom Murphy's office, was that your first job out of college? What, like, no, no. what was the first job out of college? And then how did you go from that first job and then into navigating into the, the space of, you know? Oh, wow. We. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So my first job out of college was, um, was at McDonald's. They brought me in as um, the second because uh, I had came out of college, they had that deal with colleges that, you know, if you came out with your business degree, you could, you know, skip some of the lower management positions and you move into second team um, management, which means you only have first team and then the store owner. Um, but uh, I, I thank McDonald's for what they taught me. Um, I just wasn't mentally ready for McDonald's. I mean, I, my my I was in the McDonald's in Wilkinsburg. So, <laughs> well, um, you know, for one, a lot of people knew me, right? So, <laughs> you know, um, you know, half off was, come on, Ed, let me get in. You know, I had, I ain't, come on, Ed. And then so, you know, you have to tell them no because it's a job. But I think that one of the greatest experiences I ever had was at McDonald's because I wasn't ready to manage. I didn't understand it. I, you know, I, I would get some of the people I knew. So, you know, like one time my store manager told me, don't give them their checks till after, um, till, till after the, the <laughs> till, till after the, um, the shift, the shift, shift was over, right. And, but I, you know, I knew some of the people. So, you know, I gave them their checks early. You know, they ain't come back to work that day. I already know. <laughs> they come back to work that day. Um, and so you stuck there. Now you understand. Now you got to stay extra because you got to, you know, so. You know, but I always thank McDonald's because it, it, it made me understand that even though I had a degree in management, until I got wisdom, it didn't mean nothing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so by the time I got to community development, you know, I had, look, I quit McDonald's. I was like, nah, this ain't for me. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Like, I got, I got much respect for people that got to manage McDonald's because you never have a stable, you never have a stable group, right? So the first thing about management is stability. Um, that's what it taught me, that the first thing about management is stability. And so secondly, um, is when, you know, you get some odd jobs here and there. I work security. Um, I did whatever, you know, whatever you got to do. Um, but I think that it really be, my, my career began at East Liberty Development, Inc. Because um, one, I had to take the job for free. But I had a great teacher in Wheeler Winstead. You know, so I got to learn what I didn't know. 
and watching his management style, seeing how they how he did things, it rubbed off on me. And then when I got to Murphy's office, you know, Mayor Murphy, he had a gentleman named Tom Cox. Um, and Tom Cox was one of the best teachers I ever had um, because he taught me a lot, you know, and he knew I was thirsty. I would, like I said, I'm telling you, they watched me. If they threw something away, I go get it. I go in the garbage and read it. I didn't care. To be in a room with a Mulu Baru, um, Stanley Lowe, a Leaper. I mean, like these guys would go to the, it wasn't a boardroom, it was the war room. And, and just to see the, the 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 amount of stress and tension, but what it birthed out of there was amazing to me. And I, you know, I didn't have no say. I was a young buck. All I did was just sit there and learn. And so it, it was amazing to learn during those times. It just helped me with my knowledge so that when it was my turn, I would be ready. And that's why, one, how is that reflective? How is what I learned there reflective in what I do today? I have one of the most stable um, offices in politics. And, I, and, and when you look at my team, Melvin Hubbard Hill, chief of staff, uh, it don't get no better than Brother Mel. He's all. everywhere. He's, you know what I mean? Brother Mel is everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm not there, he's there, you know? And then Lori Criswell, my office manager, it don't get no better than Lori Criswell. I put her up against anybody. You know, we turned the, we turned the office into a resource center where you don't come to my office unless you get guided. We ain't going to do the work for you. Now, I ain't going to happen. But we're going to guide and direct you to where how you get it done. And the work that we can do for you because it's state-related, we take care of it. You know, but we, 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 the reason why we give direction is because if I understand the power of knowledge, if I have you do it and you bring it back and say, we here and we here now, eh? you know, someone told me a long time ago, what if somebody come to your office and say they want to build an ant farm on Frankstown and Homewood, are, are, are you going to put them out? You know, mentally, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to put them out. You know, something wrong right there. <laughs> but, but the answer was, I'm going to guide them downtown. So they can learn whether it can be zoned that way. And if it can't be zoned that way, do they need a, do they need a variance? And what do they learn from that? And then I would schedule another meeting with them to come back. And then when you would come, when they would come back and they tell me what they learned, guess what? They more fascinated in what they learned than what they went down there for. That's the power of knowledge. And so I, I've been blessed to have a great staff, young Malachi. You know, straight out of straight out of pit, Andre Scott. You know, I mean, I I've, yeah. I've been blessed to have some young guys that watching them develop through the years. They still going, they still doing their thing. You know, and they, and they learning from what the mistakes they made, and they they also building from off the successes that they had. That that that's like reproduction. To be able to see that in people that work for you is is wonderful because that means that somewhere down the line in in, in my office. You know what I mean? They they became a student. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy with that. Like that's, you know, and so if I can do it, you know, and, and we talking about a whole district, I know I can do it at the city. Because all I'm going to go get is go-getters. All I want people that every day when they wake up, they want to go get it. Every single day, go get it. That's a mentality. Right. And I didn't learn that mentality in school. I got people in my community, whether, you know, regardless of how people see them, 
they up at six o'clock in the morning for things that they could not come home for. But they up early going to get it. And if I say I can show you a better way of life, I got to have that same mentality to go get it every day. Every day, there's 24 hours in a day. How much opportunity can you seize in a day? If by the end of the day, you didn't get no opportunity out of the day, it ain't the day's fault. Mm-hmm. You had 24 hours to get some opportunity. And you didn't get none? You came home empty? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just... Um, Leave that example there. Leave that example. Gotta show them. That's how you get it done. Yeah, I mean, like you gotta work for it. You gotta go get it. Yeah. You gotta go get it every day. Yeah. No question. And that's why I said I'm careful about, you know, professional titles and getting caught up in professional titles because you know, leadership is not a title, it's an action. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people get caught up in the title that they have as if the title made them. There's not a title that can make me. Mm. It's my ability to get up every day and hustle and go get it. That's what makes me. Right. You know what I mean? That's what makes you, not the title. Mm-hmm. The title right. is just the key. It's not the work ethic. Right. And you know what? I uh, One thing I wanted to touch on that you, that you were discussing, um, following up on Ashley's question and you talking about your staff, um, one thing that I'm doing now between podcasts and just conversations, I'm asking people how they got exposed to politics. And similar to you, that I had to go away to my HBCU in DC before I was exposed to politics. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that it's the same parallel with you in DC. I mean, you in Baltimore, me in DC, where the first time that I was exposed to, to politics on that level is just certain people, certain senators coming through Howard, and then also volunteering on two different mayors' campaigns. Yeah. So I, it's like, you know what I mean? We have to, to go away to get this exposure versus um, I, I, I share, you know, just conversations with other guys that are in politics now and when they got exposed. And these guys got exposed 10th grade, 11th grade, yeah. you know, interning in this person's yeah. office or working downtown and right. all of these right. kind of things. They right. get in that at 15, 16, 17. Right. And we don't get that opportunity until we go away to a, to a larger major city. And there's a black elected in that space that's opening our arms to young black folks. So, you know, one thing that, that I, I'm glad that you mentioned was, you know, having, having Malachi and, and, and Andre on the team and, you know, you creating that opportunity earlier than, than usual, because those are kind of only spaces that people like us is going to get them opportunities, you know? Um, so, you know, I'm just really trying to be intentional about one, making sure that we create, we, we correct that and create the opportunity for younger people in high school to get the exposure that we didn't get in, in high school. You know what I'm saying? That part, but then also making sure that we highlight the disparity. You know what I'm saying? The fact exactly. that, you know what I mean? How many how many young people from the city is in this office that are but, people of color? You know what I mean? Like all those different kind of things, you know? But also falling in love with the disparities, right? You know, like mm. a lot of times, and I, I'm not trying to sit here and act like it feels good because it don't, but there's a level that you have to fall in love with your disparities, right? I mean, you do. 
and, and, and the reason why I say that and I say it so clearly is that um, without the disparities that I had in my life, I wouldn't be the man I am today. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have had, I couldn't have overcome without disparities. I wouldn't have a testimony because I would have nothing to overcome. You know what I mean? So I got to look at disparities differently. Like I became an adult at 21, but I didn't become a man until I was 29. And if it wasn't for the birth of my oldest daughter, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if I would have because I had to give up something in order to love her. Right. And so I had to give out, give up going out Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I had to give up hanging out and really work on being a father because I didn't have that example in my life. So I had to work on being a father and it was scary and it hurt it. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's Fridays and Saturday nights that I wanted to be out with my boys hanging. I wanted to. But now that my daughter is 25 and the bond that we have, there's nothing more beautiful than that. And so the pain that I had early is the joy of love I got today. There's nothing more precious than my children and my wife. There's nothing more precious. But if it wasn't for my oldest daughter, I might not have never experienced that. Because I had to go through the pain of sacrificing some things to welcome her into my life. And so I tell these young dads now that, particularly those that didn't have a father growing up, I know where you at. I know how nervous you are. I know how you ain't got no job. You don't, you don't know what you're going to do. You stuck. You feel like life is just blowing by you. And the reason is, is because you're an adult and not a man yet. This right here is going to begin your manhood journey because you got to face your deepest fears, your deepest fears. Yeah. Yeah. You got to deal with that. I, I really appreciate that point you make about, you know, falling in love with your disparities because as, as, as we have this conversation about what has exposed us to realizing what we're capable of in spaces that, you know, we weren't privy to. Um, I think for me, it took for me to graduate college, unfor not unfortunately, I went to a PWI, so I didn't get the HBCU experience, but what I did recognize after my PWI experience was that I was stepping into spaces as a, a Black woman because I knew if I didn't do it, who else is going to do it? And once I graduated and, you know, Obama was my first presidential election that I was able to vote in. And then, you know, Maxine Waters, you know, starts the trend and I started to get upset. Like, why didn't I know about Auntie Max when I was in elementary school? Because she'd been serving since that, that long, yeah. but I wasn't yeah. privy to who she was as a, as a very strong force in, in, in what we see politically. So, um, I'm definitely going to take that because I think it's important for the conversations that we we want to have on this show and just in the work that we do. Um, but we also can't allow that to, um, you know, make us freeze or make us feel like we're not capable or that it can't ever happen. I'm a true believer in fixing the things that you know you can change um, because 
our ancestors could have never imagined you know what we are and what we are achieving today so yeah um, and, and and for me you know there's three points one that's why every year i brought high school students to the state capitol you know i brought westinghouse i brought obama i brought the um the gifted school those are the kids that they classify as being negative but i classify them as promising because they have to overcome adversity younger than, than most people mm-hmm. and it's better to overcome adversity younger than when you get older so I think, you know, bringing them there to meet the governor, the lieutenant governor, the, the black, black um, legislative, um, legislative black caucus, LGBTQIA caucus, cop, cop caucus, law, every caucus that would come, but mainly the governor and the lieutenant governor and allowing them to sit in the same seat that the governor was sitting when he signs legislation and the law um, is powerful for kids 11th and 12th grade. You know, I'm in the streets now and their mom, their grandma, them will be like, yo, hey, what's up? I mean, you don't remember me, and you know, I hate to say nah, but I mean, I, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, what I mean, but nah, but then they tell me, I, you know, I took that journey to Westinghouse. I mean, I took that journey up to the state, you know, even when Westinghouse won the championship, to bring them up there and celebrate them, to let them know you are appreciated. You know, that's number one. Number two is, you know, um, you said something that was that actually that I thought was important, um, in regards to you know changing the things that you can. And sometimes you change the things that you don't even know you change because we really don't know the date and time of when anything changes. What we know is how we move it forward to change. That's the greatest gift our ancestors gave us is that regardless of their condition, they never stopped believing they can move the ball forward. And so their failures became our success. So instead of taking failures as, as permanent, they took failure as success and they kept advancing the movement forward to the day we're on a podcast because of their, their determination. And then I, and I've told you this before too, Ashley, and I'll say it publicly that by nature, I've always told you and Dante that you're going to be a good mom. The reason why I told you that is because by nature, you're a nourish. I don't know where you get it from, but you're a nourisher. Like you, you nourish things like, you, you see the good in everything. You see the good. Um, and so by just nature, you're a nourisher. So you're going to be a good parent um, because whoever deposited that in you, they, they, they set it up for you to be that. And I told you that privately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say it publicly. You know what I mean? And you nourish the cause. Um, but as you continue to grow in, in your leadership, you know, I, I just want to share this with you, too, is that nourish you, too. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you don't nourish you, then you'll have a thousand voices pouring into you and you I won't be able to determine. It. Yeah, I'm just keeping it 100. <laughs> you, know, you. you won't you won't be able to determine what voices are really for you. Because you're a nourisher. And so what I'm sharing with you is that you have to get into a space where you can differentiate Mm -hmm. what's wisdom and what's noise. Mm -hmm. Because as a nurture in your heart, your, your, your first response is to nourish everybody, right? Because that's the love that you give off. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Don't ever think that I'm saying something is wrong with that. Yeah. 
because that's a beautiful asset to have. What I'm saying, though, is that when people are pouring into you, you have to make sure that it's based on your values. Because if it's not based on your values, then the roads don't grow straight. You understand what I'm saying? You know what I mean? And, and so you have to be cautious of those voices because you want, and here's how I determine it. And I'm not always, I ain't always on point with it. So you understand it. I have to determine whether the wisdom someone is pouring in me is for their benefit or mine. Mm. If it's for my benefit, then I know you want to see me grow. If it's for your benefit, it's because you want me to propel you. Mm. Well, you just nah. to me and didn't even know I needed it. That was be a good I, ass sermon. I told you, Ash, I told you. And the fact that Ed don't even know mm-hmm. and can come on here and 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 follow up, I'm to- I told you, Ash. Like, yeah, me and Ashley had a conversation before we we hopped on, but I'm I was saying the same things that you were saying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's why I was pointing, like, yo, I told like that's there. Well, I mean, go. you can see it as clear as day. She, mm-hmm. you can see it as clear because she's a nurturer, right? Like that's what they do. They. You know what I mean? That, that's what they do. That that's they'll put others before them. You see what I'm saying? Um, and so one of the things that I learned is I tell people this: I will never ask you to sacrifice me. I will never ask you to sacrifice you for me. See, if I'm down for you, you can't sacrifice you for me. Can't because I want you to use me. I want to be used. I, you know, all them people talking about, nah, he ain't gonna use me or she ain't gonna use. Look. Use ad. Ah, use ad. Please use ad. Listen, use ad. But you'll never take me for granted. See, I don't mind being used, but you'll never take me for granted. No doubt. Never. You understand what I'm saying? Someone that don't want to be used is someone that don't want to perform. You know what I mean? I'll go first. I'm going to show you I'm a performer. I'll go first. Mm -hmm. Because that way, if I go first, you never have to worry about if I'm trying to sacrifice you. Oh, no doubt. Mm. Yeah, that was that was on point. That was. Uh, oh man, I know Martel had a. Uh, you got a, a like question for us. To, uh, you know. Yeah. So we um, you know, we always try to you know balance it out with that black political millennials or you know serious conversation and and some like you know conversation and questions. So I know that you a basketball fan. I know you've been following. Oh, March Madness and uh you know the national championships tonight. So I just wanted to see what your what your pick was for, for the game tonight. Uh, Gonzaga. You, you Gonzaga. No doubt. No, doubt. <laughs> no. I even though I was I was, you know, be honest, I was from Michigan. You know, oh, me I, too. I wanted me to see too. Brother Howard do it. Me too. Uh, yeah. And you know, but you know, but their leaders score out and things of that sort. Yeah, I know it would be difficult. But mm-hmm. um, you know, after he hit that 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 bucket at the buzzer. It, you, know, you, you bring that type of momentum in, um, yeah. they're going to have to take that momentum away from Gonzalez quickly. Um, so if if they take it away quickly, uh, it'll be a game. If they don't, so they'll run right through them. I mean, that's a lot of momentum to build on. 
So, right. you know. And I just want to thank y'all for having me too, man. Listen, I, you know, I want to thank y'all for having me. Um, Good. We appreciate you, know, you coming. Yeah, I appreciate y'all because here's the reason why. Let me be clear. One, you gave me a platform to be able to talk um, with you. And two is that you gave me the ability, you know, to really talk about my candidacy. Um, and I just want to end with this. We, 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 we need you. And you didn't hear me say, I need you. I said, we need you. The reason why we need you is because I, I can't change the city alone. I, I can't change the city alone. I can't. You'll have a whole lot of people say X, Y, and Z, but no one can question my dedication and work ethic. So, you know, I need you. I need you to be my armor bearer where I'm not around. You're saying, look, man, Ed is out here. Ed do it for real. You know what I mean? Ed, by no way am I ever going to be perfect. And I don't want to be perfect. You know, matter of fact, if you want to be perfect, I don't even want you around me. If you ain't ever made no mistakes, don't be around me. You know what I mean? Don't be, you can't teach me nothing. Um, I need people that are sincere and real. And so I ask y'all to tell people when they ask about Ed Ganey that one thing that I can say, he'll do it the way he said he's going to do it. That's what I've done. Mm -hmm. And that's all I can ask is support. Support someone that you know will, will support you back and go first with no problem. So I thank you for this evening. I know I got a seven coming up too, yep. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to say thank you. I need your support. I'm asking for you, everybody in podcast land. My name is Ed Ganey. I'm running for mayor and I need your support. If you can donate, go to www.ganeyformayor.com and donate. If you can volunteer, come on and volunteer. If you can just tell your friends who Ed Ganey is and put it on your social media page, support Ed Ganey for mayor, all that means something. I had this administration tell me I couldn't raise no money in my own community. Mm. And I understand if they look at the poverty lines and they say every community um, that look like Ed is under the poverty line. But what they don't understand is we've been poor. We ain't never been broke. Mm. And secondly is at the end of the day, this every neighborhood in this city is my community. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> if you want a united community, everybody got to be your community. Mm -hmm. So why look at mine as just being poor? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Drop the mic on that. Drop on that one. That's, <laughs> that's Ed Ganey, y'all. He's got to get up out of here because he's got other campaign stuff to do, doing the good work of the campaign season. So we're sending you all the good vibes. You yes, know, sir. keep your head up. and. Thank you. Say some prayers for me out there, y'all. Y'all know what I'm up against. Say some prayers, you know what I mean? Let God hear us. You know what I mean? No, we got you. We All got right. You. Hey, y'all have a great evening. God bless y'all and thank you. Thank yes, you. God bless. Take care. Bye -bye. All right. Well, that was dope. Yeah, that was definitely dope. Look at me getting preached to one episode. What episode are we again? 24? 24. Woo! Mm -hmm. How about that? Is that did is that is that his legislative district? Yeah, that's that, so that's crazy. That's crazy. That's I didn't even crazy. realize. That. I didn't yeah. think about that. <laughs> that's that man. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, that that was that was not planned, folks. That just happened yeah. to happen that way. So. Yeah. That was a good that was wow. a good episode. I'm super glad we uh were able to bring you all um Ed Ganey. 
uh, mayoral candidate mm -hmm. for the city of Pittsburgh. I did want to throw some dates out there. Um, primary election day, do not forget, is May 18th. May 18th is the day that you can uh, vote in person. I also want us to remember the days for you to register. I'm making sure I don't get these dates wrong. So voter registration deadline is May 3rd. You can go to votespa.com to get registered. Also mail-in ballots, absentee ballots. If you do not wanna to go to the polls in person, you can apply for your mail-in ballot no later than May 11th. The sooner the better, because y'all know how mail works y'all. So get those mail-in ballot applications completed. You can do that online as well at votespa.com. And um, yeah, y'all, make sure we vote in. We gotta vote twice a year, every year. That's how we do in PA. No doubt. And, and, and make sure you do your research before you get to the polls, y'all. And figure out who you need to vote for. See what's on your, you can see what's on your ballot online and look and see who you need to do the research on before you get to the polls. Cause there's nothing worse than getting there and feeling the anxiety and pressure or trying to like figure out who's who or, or, or guessing or things like that. So definitely take some time before you get there. Um, if you're going on, if you're going on live on election day, make sure you do your research before. Um, and if you're going to do your melon ballot, you know what I mean? Pull your ballot out before you plan on, on melanin. Yeah. Take a look at that, you know, and, and do that research. Make educated votes, y'all. Like that's that's what's important. It's time as we make educated votes. That's you my favorite we, thing yeah. about mail in ballots that you can do that. Like you can sit back, it's no pressure. Yeah. It's no pressure. That's another yeah. reason why they're trying to take them them uh the that that mail in ba ballot voting away because they know you can really oh, make yeah. an informed decision when it's sitting at your table and you can look things up. But uh exactly, exactly. Yeah, instead of pressing the first option for each for each uh, position <laughs> or yep. seat, you pressing the first one, that probably ain't the best selection for you a lot of times. Yep. You know what I mean? Depending on what election it is, the top one ain't the best one a lot of times. So, you know what I mean? The election that I lost, you, by 40 points, I was the last one on there. And I know that that was, I know how, I know what that was about, but you know. Yeah, ballot it's position cool. matters a lot. Yeah. Ballot position yeah. matters. So, Make sure y'all check it out. Um, and you want to give them all the things to follow us since I just did that rundown? Yeah. So, you know, um, this is Black Political Millennials. So make sure you follow us uh, on Facebook, Black Political Millennials. Uh, and we're also on Instagram, Black Political Millennials with an S. Um, and you can hit us up on our email, bpmpodcast412 at gmail.com. We're on Anchor FM. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Play Music, we're on Spotify. Anywhere there's podcasts, we're there. You know what I mean? Just type in Black Political Millennials. Um, you know what I mean? Thank you for rocking with us and staying tuned. We've got some more special guests yeah. coming up. This is campaign election season. So we we guarantee, we promised y'all guests. So we bring y'all guests. So, you know, shout out to uh, Stay Rep Ed Ganey for sparking it off. Mm -hmm. But he won't be the last, you know. So stay tuned with us, y'all. And thank you for listening. Peace, y'all. Peace.